Richard Smallwood wrote that song many, many years ago. And it's mighty. One of the verses said, when I am lonely, feeling sad, you are the lifter of my head. And in some places you go, it's not politically correct for Christians to admit their sadness and their sorrow. But as Jonathan said, that this season for many of us can be met with mixed emotions because loved ones that we've celebrated with in years past are not celebrating with us now. And there could be a myriad of other problems and challenges and issues. But that's why we gotta be reminded that Jesus was a man of sorrows who can be touched with the feelings of your and my infirmities. Because we get sad sometimes. But we don't have to stay there. And that's where joy comes in. I'm going to give you this. This part I'm about to give you right now is for free. Okay? Because someone may not even be able to pay attention to the message. Because you're thinking about something that has your soul weighted down took a lot for you to even get to church today. But let me tell you something about joy. Joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's not something that is conjured up in our own power. And joy is more of a focus than a feeling. Happiness is based on feelings. So if you're feeling good, got some money in your pocket, some things are going the way you want, you'll be happy. Clap along if you feel, you'll be happy. But joy is not based on happenstance or what is happening. Joy is based on a person, Jesus, who defeated all enemies, including death and the grave. And because nothing will ever separate you from him, you have joy. What is joy? It's a focus on God. It's a focus in God that says no matter what's going on around me, he's doing a work in me that gives me joy. And joy, I like to break it down like this, J-O-Y. Jesus over your, and then fill in the blank. Jesus over your problems. Is he Lord or not? And if he's Lord, then you can have joy that produces happiness, good feelings, and all of that. But it's a mindset that Jesus is over your enemies. Jesus is over your shortcomings, your frailties, and your setbacks. Jesus is over your, you name it. Because there's nothing that he does not have lordship over. And because he is Lord, that gives me joy. No wonder these, they sing, joy to the world, the Lord has come. So let me pray for us. You're the center of our joy, and that can't be faked. Jesus, you told us that in this life, there will be tribulation, but we can be of good cheer because you have overcome. So I pray for those who are hurting in their soul today and who are sorrowful this season. I thank you, Lord, that your spirit is able to minister to them and even through them. 
and that you will turn their mourning, whatever it may be, into dancing. That you will take the garment of despair and give them, give all of us, the garments of praise in Jesus' name. And as Jonathan said to us, Lord, the power of declaration to speak the truth and not be consumed by our feelings or our circumstances, but to proclaim that you are mighty, that you are faithful, that you are holy, that you are savior, that you are healer. But would you heal not only bodies, but minds and relationships? Would you do that for your glory and for our good? And now as we come to your word, we need help. Teach us, but not only teach us and stimulate our mind, because we're to love you with our mind, but I thank you that you're going to work in us to will and to do of this good word today. Thank you, God, for giving us your word. Thank you, God, for giving us your spirit. Thank you, God, for never leaving us and never forsaking us and giving us all things we need for life and godliness. You're a good, good father, and we say thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. If you have a copy of God's word, turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And I'll begin reading from verse 16. Matthew chapter 1. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Now verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. So in the midst of our series of unsung Bible stories, let's talk today about Joseph, the husband of Mary. Joseph, the husband of Mary. Now, for those of you who may not know me, you can look at me and see that I was an athlete. <laughs> Just look at me. I saw young Dion Sanders back in from Furman, home with his parents, mama just smiling. And I went to hug that boy and I felt new muscles rippling all over his body. 
I'm like, boy, what are they feeding you up there in South Carolina? And so glad to see our kids home from school and ready to be with us for the holiday season. Uh, but when I was younger and I played baseball and I played football, um, a little too short to play basketball back in the day, but I played football and I played baseball. And at the end of the season, what we would do is we would have awards banquets and they would give out awards. Now, if our team won the championship, everyone on the team got a trophy. If we didn't win the championship, we would come together for a year-end get-together and there would be two trophies presented. The first trophy would be the most valuable player trophy, the MVP, which would be given to the best player on the team. But then they had another trophy that they would give out, and that was called the Unsung Player Trophy. And that was given to someone who um, wasn't one of the stars, but someone who was very critical to the success of the team. Uh, usually a lineman, offensive lineman or defensive lineman, someone in the trenches. Their names weren't in the paper, but everyone on the team knew that this person made the team stay together. They were unsung. They were unknown, they were unheralded, but the coach would take a moment to applaud them and thank them publicly and give them a trophy. So there were two trophies given out. Unlike today, where if you're on the team, the day you sign up and register, they give you a trophy today. You don't have to do anything. You can quit mid-season and they still give you a trophy. And forgive me for being facetious, because in this day and age, we don't want to hurt the psyche of the little ones, and we want everyone to feel like that they have contributed, and we all get trophies. Oh, man. Help us, Lord, yes. <laughs> when you get to heaven, everybody's not going to get a reward, but that's a whole nother conversation. And God is the most gracious Father of all, but some of us are going to get into heaven but as by fire. And when we stand before the Lord, we won't have crowns to get back to him. We got in but as by fire. That's it. We there. But some of us are going to have crowns. And so, you know, this day and age, everybody gets a trophy. But when I was coming up, there were two of them. And I think one year I got the unsung trophy. You know, you, you, you get that. It's like, wow, they're acknowledging basically the Rudy of the team. Uh, uh, <laughs> The, the, the scrub who tries hard, you know, they, they acknowledge that person. And man, it, it, that does help one's self-esteem. But when I think about the first family, and no, not the one on 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, but the first family of the nativity, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, uh, it's clear to say that Jesus was the MVP of that team. Uh, Jesus was the MVP. But if you come from a Catholic persuasion, that can be argued, and some would say that Mary is the MVP of the team and not necessarily Jesus. But when we read this book, Jesus is the star from Genesis all the way to Revelation. I mean, everything is about him, is from him and for him. He's the MVP. But my man, Joseph, he gets the unsung trophy for the first family of the nativity. And, and, and I want us to, to keep our eyeball on Joseph because if we hear anything about Joseph, it's usually during this time, at Christmas time. 
but otherwise, Joseph doesn't get a lot of uh, uh, attention from Bible scholars and teachers. But I'm here to let you know, Joseph is the man. He's the man. And when you say, Pastor, he's the man, but can you tell me what is a man? I mean, there's a lot of ways to define a man today. What is a man? If Joseph is the man, what is a man? Well, let's see. We've got the students in here with us today. Uh, having certain plumbing makes you a male, but it doesn't necessarily make you a man. Let the walls say amen. God created them male and female. Mm -hmm. And we have people here who are males, but just being a male doesn't necessarily mean that you are a man. Because a man is someone who is going to do four things. I'm a preacher, so I got four things for you about what a man is. Number one, a man is going to reject passivity. He's going to reject being passive. Secondly, he is going to accept responsibility. That's what a man does. He accepts responsibility. Does it deflect responsibility? A man accepts responsibility, and a man is going to lead courageously. That's what men do. We lead, even if we're scared, we go on forward because courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the ability to go forward in spite of fear. But then there's also where you not only reject passivity and you uh, uh, accept responsibility and you lead courageously, you also expect the greater reward, which is God's reward. You expect that God is going to bless because he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. So when a man seeks him, when a man hungers and thirsts for righteousness, not only will he be fed, but the Lord will be found and, re and will reward such a man who is a godly man, a man of God. And Joseph was a man, he was a man of God. Not much written about him in scripture, but what is written about him is very, very potent and it's necessary for our understanding to grow as disciples because all of these stories, Romans 15, were written for our edification and for our example. And I want you to see two things today about Joseph as we get into this passage. That number one, Joseph was a lover. And number two, Joseph was a leader. He was a lover and he was a leader. So men, let us listen today. He that has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying about what it means to be a man, a man of God. Let us hear what it means to be a lover and what it means to be a leader from the pages of Scripture as spoken of concerning Joseph. Uh, so whether you're a single man, listen, there are things to learn from this. Whether you're a young man, you're in high school, there are things to learn from Joseph. I'm so glad that yesterday when the men got together, and we talked about uh, finances and how to be stewards in the kingdom of God. And we talked about budgeting and saving and making money and investing money. We had teenagers who were also present with us uh, because they need to hear these things as well. So young men, listen up. Uh, but also um, single ladies, some uh, single ladies. Uh, I need you to listen up too uh, for what you need to wait on God for. What you don't need to jump the gun, you know, doing your thing. You want to wait on the Lord for a man like Joseph. Uh, my divorced sisters, uh, let this man be an encouragement to you for if you should ever get married again. 
And we know that not all, let me put this in because I don't want to get any hate mail. Not all single women are called to be married. Some single women are called to be married to Jesus, and that's fine. But we do have some single women who do, they're like, now this Christmas, I need some of the brothers to, to, to make some moves. So, so the altar will be open. We got to pray. I know Tyler Ron Chisels. Uh, Sunday school teacher said, you know, we should want Jesus for Christmas. And there's some sisters who got Jesus, and they're like, I want a man for Christmas too, Lord. So would you hear my prayer? So, amen, altar will be full after church today. And, uh, and so, so we want to listen. We want to listen for what kind of man this is so, so that we can say, Lord, am I on point based on what I see with this brother here? So let's begin. Number one, Joseph was a lover. First and foremost, he loved God. Look at verse 19. It says, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, a just man. That is a way of saying that Joseph was a righteous man, that he had a relationship with God by faith. And he had faith in the one who was to come, the Messiah. And it just so happened that God chose him to be a part of the family through whom the Messiah would be born. Galatians 4, 4, that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son born of a woman. And Joseph was to be able to see Christ for himself, the Messiah. Remember when they went into the temple to dedicate the Lord and Anna met the first family and Simeon met the first family and they prophesied by the power of the Holy Spirit that they had in fact had the Christ child. And so Joseph would see him for himself but he was a just man. He was made right with God because of faith in God. And so he had a relationship with the Lord. And not only was he a just man as far as his relationship, but this also speaks of how he walked, how he lived his life before God. He was a righteous man, a godly man. And the proof that he loved God and the proof that we love God is not so much what we look like on the outside, but it is how we respond to the voice of God. Because whenever you read Joseph in the scripture, whenever the Lord speaks to him through the angels, the angels would be messengers on behalf of God and they would speak to him, he would not only listen and hear the voice of the Lord through the messengers, but he would always get up and respond in obedience to the message that was given to him. So the proof that we have a relationship with God, that we love God, is that we obey God. Because we can say what we want to say, that we love him, but if we don't keep his commandments, then we're a liar. And so Joseph, whenever he heard the word, he acted because faith without works is dead. You can say what you want to say, but if you don't act on the word, then you may not be a lover of God. You may be, as Sister Jewel said, according to the last days, a lover of yourself. Because when you have a relationship with God, it's his word and not your word that matters. When you have a relationship with God, it's what he says that goes and not what you feel or think that goes. So this man had his own relationship with God. So brothers, a real man is a man who has a relationship with God. And Joseph had that. Secondly, he loved him some Mary. He loved Mary. Because the Bible says he was betrothed to her in verse 18 after his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Uh, uh, so we read that word and we say, now what does that mean? Well, in our day and age, it would be likened unto being engaged, but being engaged on steroids. I mean, this was a heightened kind of a thing in that culture. 
When you got into a betrothal, usually it was because parents organized the marriage. There would be two families, and they would say, Charlie needs to get with Susan. Mm -hmm. And the parents would organize that. And Charlie and Susan many times didn't have anything to say about the arranged situation. But the families were trying to get them together for business or whatever. And so the young kids would come together. And Dante, guess what? These kids got married as they were teenagers, man. I mean, young, 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 young. Oh, I see Ron back there, Reggie. Uh, young, but y'all can't go that young. That was a different day. That was a different day. All right? <laughs> My parents got married as teenagers. My dad and mom were 17 years old when they got married. And I bet I got a few people over here. Y'all understand, because back in that day, you did everything young. You know, you drove young, you went to war young, you got married young. But this day and age, Lord have mercy, keep this generation in prayer, these millennials. Help them, Lord. But anyway, he loved this woman. They, 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 they were arranged. And so when you would have the betrothal, that was the way in that culture where you would be legally married to the person. But you go through a season of preparation. In the betrothal, we don't know how long it lasted, but it was a season of preparation whereby you were legally married, but you just didn't live together and consummate the marriage. So it was an engagement that was heightened. So you knew you were going to get together and live under one roof, but until then you were legally married. So what was going on during this time? During the betrothal period, the male or the husband was preparing the place for his bride. Listen to this, Strong Tower. He would go and get his house ready for her so that when they did get married, he could bring her to his house. So it was a preparation period whereby he prepared the home that they would live in. So when Jesus says to us, he says to us, he says in John chapter 14, I am going to do what? to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you will be also. So now here's the deal. We are legally married to Jesus Christ. We are justified by grace through faith. We have a legal relationship with God, but that relationship will not be quote-unquote consummated until we go to heaven and go to his house and see him as he is and we'll be made like the bridegroom. But until that time, we're married, but it hasn't been consummated whereby our faith becomes sight. And so Jesus has gone away as the bridegroom to prepare a place for his bride. So in this day and age, Joseph is out preparing, getting his house together because he loved this woman. Now, according to Luke's gospel, Mary, when she got the news, the angel said, just so that you don't feel alone, your cousin who's older than you, she's also miraculously pregnant with her husband, Zechariah, and they're about to have a child, the one who was barren, they're about to have a child. So you go and spend some time with them. And so Mary goes, and she goes to spend time with her cousin Elizabeth. And as she walks into the door of their house, she just being a few days or weeks pregnant. When she walks in, John the Baptist is three months older than Jesus. When she walks in the house, John the Baptist leaps in Elizabeth's womb because that was his purpose in life, to get excited about Jesus, to tell people about Jesus. So when Jesus walks in through Mary's womb, weeks old, life in the womb, that, that, that the baby leaps, oh my. They were already getting excited about their mission, even in the womb. So she stays with Elizabeth, but she has to abruptly leave 
before Elizabeth gives birth to John. Why does Mary have to leave? She has to leave because the betrothal period is coming to an end and she's got to get back to her husband, Joseph. So as she leaves Elizabeth's house to go back to Joseph, she has to then tell him that she is pregnant. And she is pregnant by the Lord. Now, before we get overly spiritual and, and all that stuff, and because we know how the story works out. If I was Joseph, and Sister Doreen and I, uh, we were engaged for eight months before we got married. Is that right? December 28th, next week, will be 25 years of marriage for us. Amen. But we wouldn't have made it to year one had she uh, rolled up on me before the wedding day talking about I'm pregnant and I'm pregnant by the Holy Ghost. We wouldn't have made it. I, I, I tell you that. Because <laughs> that's hard to believe, number one, that you're pregnant. And, and this whole thing, not only is this betrothal about preparation, it's about purity. We're going to keep our hands off of each other. We're going to wait before we have sex. And you're going to come up in here pregnant, and then you're going to tell me that you're pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Okay. And so Joseph, the Bible says, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, verse 19, was minded to put her away secretly. He's like, Chauncey, uh, we, we can't go forward with this. <laughs> no, no, no. But because he loved her, he didn't put her out there for public shame, scorn, ridicule, and even judgment. Remember in John chapter 8 when they caught the woman in adultery, the law said to stone her. So somewhere back there in the Decalogue and all of those first five books, you see how uh, adultery was to be punished under the law. And so there is a chance that Mary could have not only been scorned, but somebody may have tried to stone her in the fact that she had committed adultery and broken the law of God. So Joseph, being a just man and a man who loved this woman, even though he's not understanding what he's talking about, he's like, I'm not going to put you on blast. I ain't going to put you on front street. I'm just going to put you away privately. All our hopes and dreams are dashed. All of us wanting to get together, it's over. But baby, I'm going to put you aside privately. If he didn't love her, he wouldn't have done that. So make sure that when you're dating folks, that, that it's just not love the feeling, but it is love the commitment. Because I'm going to go somewhere with you right now you may not have ever thought about. When he put her away and not put her out there on front street for her to get scorned, ridiculed, and even possibly stoned, the Bible says, and I'm going to read this in verse 20, but while he thought about these things. He didn't just say, it's over. I'm moving on. He thought about it. And here's what I'm going to tell you he was thinking about. I believe he was thinking about marrying her anyway. He was thinking, because he loved her. And although he didn't understand this story, didn't believe this story, he loved her and love covers a multitude of sin. We'll work this thing out. While he was thinking about it, because uh, I'm going to prove that point in a minute. The angel comes to him in the next verse. It says, the angel appeared, excuse me, verse 20, in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, 
for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. Here's where I'm going with this. He puts her away privately. Then he thinks about it like, man, okay, I, I love this woman. We can work this out, but I am afraid to marry her. I'm afraid. I'm not sure if I have what it takes to, to be in this relationship. I love her, I want to, but I'm afraid. So when the angel shows up, the angel is not commanding him to marry her. He's first saying to her, don't be afraid to do what's in your heart to do, which is to take her as your wife. I know you love her. Don't be afraid to take her. Because God was not going to put his son into a family where the husband and wife were together by obligation. And no kid should be in a family where the parents are just together by obligation. And if you're together by obligation right now, ask the Lord to take you back to your first love. Because you had to have loved each other to lay down together. Some, some kind of spark was there. Ask the Lord to take you back so that your children don't have to grow up in a home where parents are together just because they have to be. The greatest thing you can do for your kids is to love your spouse. And let them see you date one another and be crazy about each other. That builds up their security and their self-esteem. But if they sense that mom and dad are off, that messes with their security. So this man loved him some Mary. And the angel said, don't be afraid to take her. He loved this woman. And then he also loved Jesus. He was a lover, I tell you. He loved God, he loved Mary, and he loved Jesus even though he knew Jesus was not his biological son. Can I give a shout out to all of the stepfathers and, and all of the men who have come into blended families, who have raised children who are not their own, men who have adopted children. Thank God for these men. And Joseph is a pattern right here because he raised Jesus, even though he knew this wasn't his son. So when it comes down to it, the angel says to him, you can't name him because he's not yours to name. But in that culture, the men had the privilege of naming their children. Speaking of their authority as the head of the home and all that kind of stuff. And so remember when John the Baptist was born through Elizabeth, that Zacharias couldn't talk. But they did go to him and say, now what are we going to call him? Because that's your responsibility as the head of the home. And so Zacharias couldn't talk. He said, bring me something to write with. So he wrote down on the tablet, John. His name shall be called John. That's what the father was to do, name the children. And then somebody up in there said, wait a minute, ain't nobody in y'all's family named John. Why, 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 why you, man, the boy name gonna be John. Be quiet. <laughs> but in our culture today, we men don't have that authority, I don't think. At best, we have a dialogue about what we're going to name the child. But when it comes down to it, mama going, <laughs> she going to name that child. Oh, boy. Yes, indeed. So he couldn't name Jesus. The angel said, you're going to call his name Jesus. You don't get that authority. And so Joseph raised Jesus knowing that Jesus was not his son. Again, thank God for men who do that. Imagine with me, if you will that Jesus and Mary went to the Mari show. And they're sitting on the couch and Mari has the envelope. 
And Mari says, and, and people are watching. Mari pulls out the envelope. He says, Mary and Joseph, are you ready? Well, in the case of baby Jesus, Joseph, you are not the father. But guess what? People understood that Joseph wasn't the father because they saw this woman showing before they said, I do, if you will. And so he raised this boy. He knew the truth of how he came. But the world didn't believe that story. Even when Jesus was a full-grown man and he's ministering, the Bible says in John chapter 8, they called him out by saying that he was born out of wedlock. And so they, they talked about Jesus his whole life because uh, the world will say that Mary had a relationship with a Roman guard. She was raped or whatever. She had a relationship, and so Jesus was the offspring of that. So there were rumors that went around. So Joseph had to raise this boy in a culture where people talked about them and put them down and believed a lie to be the truth. I want to let you know something that even though you know the truth about what you're going through and everybody else has made a judgment about what you're going through and usually it's wrong, it's not easy living like an antagonist when you know that you're a protagonist. Let that just sink in for a second. A lot of people think they know your story. They think they know what's going on and they have written you off with a broad brush. And if you're not careful, you'll come under the condemnation of the community and you'll begin to see yourself through the lens by which they see you. That's why you can't let peer pressure dictate to you who you are. You got to know who you are. You got to know the truth about whatever the situation is between how you and your husband got together, how y'all adopted kids, or how y'all had kids, blended family, or why you're divorced, or why you're not married. You got to know the truth. And be at peace with that and be at peace knowing that God knows and don't you let anybody put you under something that God doesn't put you under. God doesn't put you under condemnation, so don't you dare let a fallen person put you under condemnation. You walk in the freedom of Christ knowing who you are and he redeems everything, including any mistakes you've made in the past. But Joseph, he lived in this environment and he even tried to discipline Jesus at one point because if he's a good father, He's going to discipline his children. Pastor, that's what you're talking about. Jesus never did anything wrong. But in Luke's gospel, the story is told, when Jesus is 12 years old. Now, in the Jewish culture, this is when a boy becomes a man. This is when the bar mitzvah service is held. And so technically, Jesus was a young man at the age of 12. And so Joseph, as we'll see in a moment, he would lead his family every year up to Jerusalem to worship because that's what men of God do. They don't let the wife lead the children to church. They lead the children to church. Just hold on and I'm going to come back to that in a minute. And so they go up to Jerusalem. And while they're there, they're there as a family. They were traveling caravans in those days. And as they were heading back uh, to Galilee, to Nazareth, they went a couple of days or a day or two, and they looked, and they saw that Jesus wasn't amongst the group. They're like, where is y'all seen Jesus? Y'all seen Yeshua? Where is Yeshua? He's 12 years old. I know he's a man. Maybe he's feeling himself right now. Where is he? Where is he? So they go back to Jerusalem, and they find him. And Mary and Joseph walk up on Jesus, and basically they're like, where were you? We were worried. And Jesus was in the temple, and he's like, y'all should have known that I was going to be about my father's business, 
Why y'all tripping? I'm, I'm translating that ebonically. Why y'all tripping? I'm straight. I'm about my father's business. And the Bible says he confounded the lawyers in the temple area. So he's sitting there 12 years old talking with grown men about the law. So if I use my sanctified imagination on this, I, I, I think the conversation would sound a little like this. They see this 12-year-old boy wandering, and they say, hey, young man, uh, what's your name? Well, on my mother's side, my name is Jesus, common name in that day. But on my father's side, my name is Emmanuel, God with us. Wait a minute now, son. Uh, where are you from, boy? Well, on my mother's side, I'm from Bethlehem, the, the city of David. But on my father's side, I'm from the very portals of glory. Oh, son, cut that out. Cut the, boy, how old are you? Well, on my mother's side, I'm 12 years old. But on my father's side, I am from everlasting to everlasting because I am God. Oh, boy, mm -mm -mm. Okay, son, since you're so smart, what are your plans in life? Well, on my mother's side, I'm going to grow up. I'm going to live a perfect life. I'm going to perform miracles. I'm going to heal people. I'm going to reach people. I'm going to teach the word of God. But I'm also going to die on the cross. But on my father's side, I'm going to come crashing out of the grave on the third day with all authority and power in my hand. They didn't know what to do with him. Uh, Mary and Joseph, come get this boy up out of here. But Joseph did his best to raise the Christ. He was a lover. He loved God. He loved Mary. He loved Jesus. And finally, this man was a leader. He was a leader. Now, how do you know who a leader is? You just don't start off leading. You learn how to lead by first following. If you don't know how to follow, you're not going to know how to lead. So Joseph was a leader, and he led first and foremost by following God. If a man don't know how to follow God, he don't know how to lead you. So remember, sisters, keep, keep, keep your ears open for this stuff. He led by following God. As I mentioned, he listened to the voice of God in his dreams. And we have people that God speaks to not only from the word, but there are people God speaks to through creation. Creation speaks, but then also God speaks through dreams. Now, we don't stay only in that. We always go to the word. That's the primary source of prophecy from God. But he can speak through dreams. And he spoke to Joseph through dreams. And when Joseph heard what the angel had to say on behalf of God, he obeyed. Now, do not get upset with me with what I'm about to say. This is not popular today, but you know I am not called to be popular. I am called to preach. So here it is. Whenever there came time for there to be instruction given to the first family of the nativity concerning what they were to do, where they were to go, that word would always come to the head of the family. God didn't speak to Mary and Joseph or Joseph and Mary. The angel would come speak to the head, which is Joseph, and Joseph was to turn around and disseminate that revelation to his wife, and she was to walk in obedience with him as they fulfilled the will of God for their family. Oh, y'all mind if I just take a minute to go here? Because so often, we do what the devil does, and when the devil came upon the first family in the garden, he didn't respect divine authority for the family. 
He didn't come to Adam, he came to Eve. He violated the order of the home. First Timothy says that Adam was formed first, then Eve. Why did God do it that way? To establish order in the family. Both of them were equal in every way pertaining to humanity and redemption, but equality of essence doesn't mean sameness of role or function. You can't have two heads, you can only have one. But the devil does not like order, and so he came to the woman, and he disrupted order. But when God sent the good angel, Gabriel, Gabriel did not go to Mary first when it pertained to the family. He came to the head. He came to Joseph and told Joseph what the will of God was. And Joseph told his wife, and his wife didn't say, mm, we ain't getting up in the middle of the night. No, we ain't going over there. No, 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 no. She obeyed because she trusted her relationship with her husband that she knew he heard from God. Doesn't mean she didn't hear from God. Doesn't mean that God can speak through her for the family and for Joseph to learn from her and to submit to her. No, no, it doesn't mean that. It's like basketball. Kyrie Irving, some say, is one of the best point guards in the NBA. But on that team, you have arguably the best basketball player on the planet, LeBron James. But Kyrie Irving, he's no slouch. But LeBron is the best. Now, when something goes wrong on the court, they call a bad play or run the play wrong, Tyrone Lou is not going to come first to LeBron James. He's going to come first to the point guard because the point guard has been given the authority to run the team. Now, he's going to check with LeBron later. He's going to check with other players later. But it's first the point guard. God said that men, the husbands, we're the point guard of the team. But on the team, our wives are more gifted than us, and they're like LeBron James. Man, they got more gifts than us, and they can run point. LeBron sometimes runs point, but Kyrie is the point. And when something goes wrong in my house, man, God ain't coming to Darina first. He checking on me first, and she's more blessed and gifted than I am. Man, hands down, but God didn't call her to be the head of the Williamson house. He called me to be that. She's going to have to answer for where she is as a wife, not as far as condemnation because God's already paid for her sin, but she, she will have to give an account. But he holds me to a level of, a, of accountability that he didn't hold my wife. And he was holding Joseph to a place of accountability that he didn't even hold Mary to. So ladies, again, if you're single and you desire to be married, make sure that guy has a, a relationship with God where he can hear God. Don't you try to, you know, step in and play Holy Ghost and, 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 and babysit him spiritually. Because he looked good. Hold on. You know, he looked good, but if he ain't right, ooh, boy. No, 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 no. You get with an ugly dude that hears God. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that. Let me keep on moving. I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that. Because them looks, them looks, they're going to fade. They're going to fade. They're going to fade. That hair that's wavy going to get a bald spot in the top. Don't go after that. If you take him to church and I get up here and start preaching, I say, turn to Genesis. And that dude is like, wait a minute, where's Genesis? Where's... You want to let that dude off at the corner. You, you, no, no. But Joseph led his family by following God. And he took his family to church. When they went and dedicated baby Jesus, he was there. He didn't send her. He led her. He was with the family. My God. But he also led by sacrificing. All brothers, listen to this. He sacrificed. He sacrificed his plans. That wasn't his plan to marry a woman who was already pregnant by the Holy Ghost. That wasn't his plan. But he sacrificed her. 
He sacrificed his sleep. Mm. We don't like to get up, do we, fellas? Oh, man. Now, my wife can hear everything while we're sleeping. I don't hear anything. And I remember when we had children and the kids would cry, she would hear it all. And, 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 and I would say to her, babe, when you get up to go get them or feed them or something, wake me up. I'll, I'll get up with you. you know, and I'll just sit with you while you feed them. And she said, mm-mm, you ain't going to get up. You, mm-mm, no. But I, was, I, was, I meant it. I was like, just wake me up, babe. And she never did. Thank you. And anyway, and so that brother sacrificed some sleep. Angel talked to him at night. That brother get up. But he also sacrificed his glory because it wasn't about him. Now, ladies, let me go back and say something to encourage you before you throw a heel at me. Yes, Joseph was the head. Mary was the neck, if you will, that turns the head. But the Bible says that although the husband is the head of his wife, Ephesians 5, don't get mad at me, get mad at Paul and the Spirit of God. But dig this, and a good head can take care of you. You know, a good head can take care of you. But in the book of Proverbs, it says that a noble wife is her husband's crown. So even if a man is the head, a good wife like Alfreda can make Clifton Harris look good. I'm here to let you know that. She make him look good. And he want her to make him look good. And that's, that's how it works, that, that, yeah, he's the leader, but she back on top anyway. You put my love on top, she's back on top anyway as the crown. That's how it works in the family. But this brother sacrificed. But men, peep this, peep this, man. Godly men. He sacrificed his plans. He sacrificed his sleep. He sacrificed his glory. And he also sacrificed his sexual desire. Wait a minute, it's time to leave. We, we got to go. Before Tyler comes up to close us in prayer, he sacrificed sexual desire. Pastor, what you mean? The angel said, now, y'all are married, but you can't touch her till she gives birth to Jesus. Cause you know how some engaged people do. They say, we're going to get married. Well, we can do a little something. But you're like, mm-mm. Because we don't want anybody to get it twisted that somehow you had something to do with this birth. Stay out of there. Literally. <laughs> Stay out of there. And you can't touch her this is my wife. We legally married. You can't touch her until the baby is born. And then you got them six weeks you got to wait for after that. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. So that's why we just read over Joseph. We read over these stories. No, man, jump in these stories. And that brother had to give birth to his son, Jesus, who was really God's son, of course, but he couldn't touch his wife for until she healed. Man, that's some discipline. Joe is the man. I'm telling you. So, because you never know. You never know when you got to call back on self-discipline, even when you're married, when the waters are not flowing the way they would like to flow because maybe she's sick or you're sick or whatever. That's why you got to have discipline before you get married because you never know when you're going to have discipline while you're married. Oh, y'all, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to go that deep in there. But let me keep on going. Finally, he led his family by taking care of them. He led pregnant Mary to Bethlehem. He found a place for Mary to give birth. We'll talk about that next week. He eventually put his family into a house. Matthew chapter 2, when the wise men show up, man, they're in a house. 
So Joseph managed his finances well enough. He had goals. He's like, I want to get my family in the house. Again, I'm going to prepare a place. They were in a house. And then the money that the uh, wise men gave, he was able to use to lead his family into Egypt to live there until Herod died. This was a man's man. Joseph was a warrior as I close. He was a warrior. Warriors are not what you think of as warriors. The warrior is not someone who fights, for no one has the right to take another life. The warrior, for us, is the one who sacrifices himself for the good of others. His task is to take care of the elderly, the defenseless, those who cannot provide for themselves, and above all, the children, the future of humanity. And that quote came from Sitting Bull. Sitting Bull shows us what a real warrior, what a man is. So in conclusion, God would not send his son into a family that had a pitiful man leading it. God would not send his son into a family that had a pitiful man leading it. Because as Elder Clifton said, he was going to entrust his best to the best. Was Joseph perfect? No. But when he raised that boy, Jesus was a carpenter's son, so he even showed him a, a trade, if you will. A good man, a godly man. So men, what can we learn from this brother who was a lover and a leader? And ladies, what can you learn from? How can you even pray for your husbands now? How can you pray for your fathers so that we can pick up some of these qualities with the help of the Holy Spirit? Amen. Would you stand to your feet? Elder Tyler Rhymes Chisel Ma Nizzle, would you come on up? Was it a good day, you guys? Good day? Praise the Lord. And um, next week, we're going to have the candles ready, and we're going to sing together. We're going to have a good time. So uh, God bless you, elder.